Welcome to the 135th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. In the environmental community, the conventional wisdom is that livestock and streams do not mix. There's good reason for this belief. Everyone has heard about or seen firsthand what happens when cattle and other farm animals are allowed continuous, open access to waterways. Stream banks become steep and eroded, Manure and urine contaminate the water, and the stream itself evolves into a chocolate-colored ribbon of murk. But in southeast Minnesota, farmers and natural resource professionals are turning this conventional wisdom on its head. During the past several years, there have been several examples of trout streams in that region actually being improved by the presence of livestock. How can this be? Well, farmers are putting cattle on stream banks for short, controlled, intense periods, often just a day or two, and then pulling them off. This method, called flash grazing, helps control box elder trees and other invasive species, creates gentle stream bank slopes, and helps develop the kind of healthy grass habitat that can stabilize a riparian corridor while keeping sediment and other contaminants out of the water. Flash grazing of streams works nicely with managed rotational grazing systems, which use portable electric fencing to move animals frequently through a series of paddocks, thus preventing overgrazing while profitably building soil and pasture health. I recently attended a Land Stewardship Project field day in southeast Minnesota where farmers Earl and Judy Priggy are using flash grazing to manage a 3,000-foot stretch of Trout Run Creek. When the Priggies bought the land Trout Run flows through a decade ago, it was a mess. The stream banks were eroded and covered with box elders, and the creek itself was full of garbage, including rusting gas tanks. With the help of Minnesota Trout Unlimited, the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, and other groups and agencies, The Priggies set about removing the invasive species, sloping the stream banks, establishing deep-rooted grasses along the creek, and putting in shelters for trout. The result is a clear-running stream where brown trout and other species thrive. But the Priggies and the natural resource managers that they work with knew that all of that effort and expense would be wasted if the area was not maintained and managed on an ongoing basis. So for the past few years, Earl and Judy have been flash-grazing the stream banks using their cow-calf beef herd. After the recent field day, I chatted with some of the participants about the potential such a grazing system has for balancing profitable livestock production and watershed health. First, I talked to Earl Priggy about what this stretch of Trout Run Creek looked like when he and Judy bought the land it runs through 10 years ago, and what was done to improve it. When we first purchased the property 10 years ago, it was a mess, to say the least. There was places in the stream that uh, there was really a lot of box elders and and, uh, different trees that that were just overgrown and every time it rained, every time there was a flood, it would completely flood the whole valley and at one point in time in 07, the floodwaters were all the way up to the doorstep of Dog Patch, so you can imagine, you know, the the mess that, that there was. Through different organizations like Trouts Unlimited, uh, Jeff Hastings is one fellow that we worked with, and, and the Lewis and ASE office, and uh, um, a couple other organizations. Actually, the DNR was involved, too, and they were very, very accommodating and, and helped us an awful lot. Uh, getting rid of the trees, uh, establishing grasses that would, uh, re-sloping the, the uh, stream banks, we had one bank that was uh, completely eroded away, and the bank was probably uh, five to six feet high, and it was uh, trying to cut another route. 
they reestablished that and narrowed up the stream and, and uh, made it so it was uh, friendly to fishermen as well as the fish themselves. They put in some fish houses. That's what I call them. I know there's uh, probably uh, another name for it, but anyway, uh, they've worked out very, very well. I know the fish population is probably, he said over a period of time, it'll probably increase uh, threefold. That's pretty exciting. We do graze the animals down through the stream area and we have pads that we put in that the animals can come down to drink the water. They can cross the streams at different crossing points and that has been really, really working out well too for us. It's a special engineered pad where the animals can go down to drink and across the stream without ruining anything. Another thing that's really, really helped us is the, uh, the grazing part of it. I know that um, this spring, especially with all the compaction of the ground, uh, the farmers can well see that wherever they drove this spring when they had to haul their manure and stuff, that uh, the cornfields are all yellow, the bean fields are yellow. Well, we got the same thing with animals. Animals, when they're confined or when they get to roam the pasture day in and day out, they compact the ground. Naturally, the grasses can't grow. And so by, by uh, rotating from one paddock to another paddock, it gives the ground a chance to kind of rejuvenate itself and, and the grasses to grow. Every situation is a little bit different. Everybody's land is a little bit different. So you got to know what works for you. You got to try different things. And in our situation, we probably flash graze an area that's real critical, probably maybe a day or two. And then we have to take them off because they'll just wreck it. And uh, beef cattle, especially bulls, they will bear an animal or bear the ground, you know, a, a, a five by five square area in just one day, you know, where, hey, you get erosion problems the next time it rains. So you got to be mindful of that, and naturally all the farmers know that. But just just to highlight something that's in a critical area, you're probably going to have to fence it off so they can't be on for very long. The health of the animals, I think, is, is very, very much, much better as far as pink eye and uh, pneumonia and uh, things like this, this, the animals seem to be a lot, lot healthier. The site that I'm talking from is a farm that we bought 10 years ago, like I said. Our home farm is, is about 12 miles from here, which um, we handle those animals a little bit different. But I can see that down here, uh, where I have all the different areas that they can go with the fresh grass and stuff, the animal health is, is much, much better. So that tells me something. So I'm going to have to do some changing in, on my home farm. Uh, we have a cow-calf operation, and uh, we used to run, oh, right around 13, 14 head down here. Not a, not a, a large amount of animals, but now with the uh, rotational grazing, uh, we have 21 animals down here, plus the bull and the cow-calf. I mean, what, what, a, what an increase, that, you know, just due to the fact that uh, we're, we're doing rotational grazing. Next, I talked to Jeff Hastings, project manager for Trout Unlimited, about how managed grazing can be good for trout streams and the habitat surrounding them. Jeff, we had looked around at some of the things that Earl and Judy Priggy are doing on this uh, this area here, and this just looking at this, you can hear the water. I mean, it really sounds good, and it looks good. It's it's a very nice trout stream here in southeast Minnesota. Um, we've got a really nice riparian corridor here. 
I think a lot of people, when they think a lot of this has come about because of the management managed grazing they're doing with cattle, and that would really be counterintuitive, I think, to a lot of people, especially in the environmental community, uh, to think about cattle and streams going together. Yeah, I think uh, the, the picture we all, horror story we visualize is when they when livestock are fed next to the stream and you've got a confinement area type, such an area, like a barnyard. Uh, but where, where the livestock are, are brought in here to use the resource and, uh, um, and managed, uh, this is absolute, doesn't look absolutely fa- fabulous. Uh, uh, this is a project we did, but I've seen some uh, areas where it's just been managed to graze, where the livestock have had access to it, use it for the forage for a few days, and then are pulled off the stream. And it just, it just works excellent. The insects in the stream are, are, are grazers. They're used to an open system, an open canopy, and uh, if we could do it, uh, we'd have uh, livestock on all our projects in, the, in a situation like this where it's managed to graze. As soon as the livestock are not here and, and someone like myself buys property and lets it go wild, you start seeing the invasives come in, the box elders, and the trees start shading out the grasses and they're shallow rooted, and we get a lot of erosion occurring. But here, as you can see, this open system like this, a lot of the invasives, uh, invasives are not here. The sod does an excellent job of holding the banks, and uh, uh, this, is just, just, this is just fantastic. Have you guys done any monitoring here to see what the impact has been, say, on water quality or on, on some of the, uh, the ecosystems here? Yeah, not this particular project, but we have done on, on similar projects where we've grazed. Uh, we've been uh, checking our projects before and after for temperature, and the temperature has been maintained, and a lot of times it's actually getting colder. Uh, the insect life definitely flourishes uh, uh, with the, inf- the flourishment of insect life. Then we also see an increase in, in trout capacity. So we'll see a project like this increase almost tenfold. So going from 250 fish per mile to 2,500 fish per mile. Once, there, once the grass comes up, then we'd like to see that forage get utilized as a way to maintain that, that practice. And, and managed grazing is just a, a win-win for everybody. Well, you had talked about one of the things when you maybe do a restoration project, one of the problems then is keeping that perennial system healthy. And this is kind of a way to where you don't have to constantly come in and maintain this. Oh, it's a real concern. We, we've, uh, in the Driftless area, there's been about 400 miles that have been restored. But places where uh, they're not actively managed and actually so-called left alone, uh, the, the box elders, invasives come in, and it shortens the lifespan of that practice. So ideally, if we could work with a landowner to do managed grazing, that would definitely lengthen the lifespan of our projects. This is what, today is July 3rd. When's the last time we had a significant rain? We've been getting a lot of rain this spring, of course. Again, this is a great example. I've been driving around the Driftless area the last month here and looking at all the unbelievable erosion that's been occurring. But here, where the banks have been sloped, the water has a chance to rise up and spread out, and that energy is dissipated and then goes right back into the stream. So it's virtually untouched. You don't see hardly any erosion at all, where you could either go upstream or downstream where there hasn't been a project or where there isn't managed grazing occurring, and you'd see unbelievable erosion. Is there still a little bit of pushback in, say, the environmental community or the, 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 the sporting community against this just because of that, like you said, that kind of bad history uh, associating cattle or livestock with streams? Well, even today we have a couple of uh, gentlemen that came down today that are, that are avid trout fishermen, and, and they were surprised to hear uh, fish biologists and people like myself uh, promoting managed grazing. Uh, yeah, I think we all envision this livestock scenario where the livestock are concentrated in a narrow area and it's all denuded of any kind of vegetation and that still is a bad situation but here you know you got lush green uh, vegetation uh, no soil movement uh, uh, insect life is is great along the stream it's just a it's just great
In fact, this is the first year that we're really trying to take an active role in trying to promote managed grazing and, and, and working with groups like the Land Stewardship Project. We're seeing more and more row crops, uh, less and less family farms, less and less livestock, and, uh, and when we lose the livestock, we lose these opportunities for managed grazing, and we'll also lose the, the hay and the rotation, the contour strips on the up, on upland watersheds. So uh, it, it's a battle, and, and uh, any chance and opportunity we can to, to promote it, uh, we will. Finally, LSP staffer Carolyn Van Shake, who works with landowners in southeast Minnesota's Root River watershed, talked about how using livestock to improve riparian areas is an example of land management that relies on good observation and flexibility, rather than cookie-cutter tools that create environmental and economic dead ends. Caroline, it's really important to not approach this from, okay, we're going to use one management system. Let's say we are going to uh, accept the fact that we're going to do managed grazing. Even that can be dangerous if we're going to graze every piece of this stretch of the stream the same, that you really have to adapt to the different parts of the stream, to the different weather situations, that kind of thing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, it is the managed part of managed grazing. So you can, you know, the old way, the way your grandpa did it, he put his cows out and then came back in a month or two or maybe even three months, and that was grazing. And there's kind of a lot of that going on today even, but that really isn't managed grazing where you're involved in uh, looking at that your herd health, but also looking at your sward health and uh, how much and when it rained last and what kind of slope you're working with. For instance, here at Earl and Judy's place, where we were walking, the slope's pretty small. Uh, it definitely goes down to the stream, so how they uh, move their cows on this ground will be different than just if you hopped across the bank, and it's a very steep slope. And Earl told us about what he calls flash grazing across the creek there. So it's the same creek, the same bunch of cows, the same farmer, but he is really looking at his landscape and making decisions based on what the landscape is telling him and what happened today and in the last week to decide how long he's going to put how many of his cows here. And that sort of non-cookie-cutter approach is what gives rotational grazers their pleasure and why they wake up in the morning. But also it is really key to why this piece of trout run looks the way it does, so healthy and restored, and another piece might look like this piece did 10 years ago. For more on how livestock and other sustainable farming systems can be used to improve water quality, see LSP's Root River Promise of Pasture webpage at www.landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who've made initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. <music>